I'm not going to start till I get my podium. Y'all excited about lunch? Having a crock pot? Fellowship? I'm excited about the weather. If any of y'all work outside, you praise God for the weather. Praise God for your health. Your, if you were at, if, if you were at, here's where I'm at. If you were at the fields of faith and you heard the testimonies that I heard, I'm not going to tell you what they were if you weren't there. You just missed it. Um, but I walked away from that humbled and thanking the Lord for my health, for my family's health, for my kids' health. A new look on life. So thankful for God for how good He is to us and Man, I, I praise the Lord for how good He is. He's so good to us. And <clears throat> Looking at John chapter 5, I want to start off reading. Let me find my place because I didn't mark it in my Bible. Um, start off in, let me give you a little background. You know, he starts off in chapter 5 in the early part of it. There was this paralytic man who had been sick for a long time. Uh, and I believe it's 38 years, yeah, 38 years, Jesus comes along, asks him, does he want to be made well? In verse 6, the man says, uh, pretty much, yes, I do. Jesus, rise up, take up your bed and walk. He did it on the Sabbath, and all of a sudden now all the Jews are upset because Jesus went against their religion, and they totally missed life. They totally missed the life giver who was before them, missed who he was because they were so set in their ways and uh, now Jesus is talking to him a little bit. And verse 16, it says, for this reason. Say, for what reason? Because, because he had healed a man who had been sick 38 years. He healed a man on the Sabbath. All of a sudden, he kind of throws a, a wrench in their gears, in their pattern. And, and I just kind of wonder, what if Jesus does that in our life? What he did, what if he did that in, on a Sunday morning in our church? How many people would just kind of sit there bewildered? How many people would get upset because now that's going to throw us behind the time schedule? Or how many people would lose their mind over the fact that they were in the presence of the Lord? Hope we would be the, the latter. But they missed it. And there's a lot of people that's missing life today. Verse 16, for this reason the Jews persecuted Jesus. They sought to kill him because he had done these things on the Sabbath. You know, that's a funny thing about, about religion and about the way the Jews thought. I think, you know, you want to, you want to, uh, kill a man because he broke the Sabbath. Can you not see where you're coming from that, that you're way off? You know, in your thinking and process, you justify murder, but you think you're standing for the Lord. Verse 17, but Jesus answered and said, My father has been working until now, and I have been working. Therefore, the Jews sought all the more to kill him, because he not only broke the Sabbath, but he also said that God was his father, making himself equal with God. Now, this is not my my message, but I do want to point this out. <clears throat> way through the book of John, one of the most important things that the book of John brings out is the deity of Christ, that he is God, he is God the Son, he is 100% God and 100% man, equal with God, he claims it all the way through this book, several several instances where he does this, 
And so there's a lot of, especially in our day and time, there's a lot of different thoughts of who Jesus was. And, and there's even different denominations who deny that Jesus was God in the flesh. You know, they talk about the oneness theory, but they deny that, that Jesus is God. Jesus absolutely claimed to be God. The Jews very clearly understand what he was claiming when he claimed this, he, that he is God. If you, if you've seen him, you've seen the Father, and I'll talk about that in just a little bit, but, but there, but there are also different religions who go, well, Jesus was a good teacher, or he was a good man, or that he was a prophet. Well, there's a problem with that. One of those, you know, Islam, they'll, they'll say, yeah, we believe in Jesus, and, and we believe that Jesus was a prophet. Well, here's the problem with that. They killed him because he claimed to be God. That's what he was in their eyes. That's what they blamed him for, blasphemy, that he claimed to be God in the flesh. Now, if Jesus himself claimed to be God in the flesh, then, then one or two things, either he was God, okay, or he was, and if he was God, then he's no prophet. He would be a false prophet if he claimed to be God and he was killed for that. Am I making sense? You can't say he was a prophet. Well, they, he claimed to be God and they killed him for that. So if he was just a prophet, he was a lying prophet. So you got a problem in the doctrine of the teaching and the belief there. What we need to clearly see is Jesus was a prophet, but he was not just a prophet. He was a man, but he was not just a good man. He was the God man. He is God in the flesh. And if you want to know who God is and, and, and what God is like, you look at Jesus, you study his life and go, he is fully God. Okay, fully God. So when Christ died on the cross, he was not a good man dying for bad people. He was a God man dying for dead people. All right? And so in that, you go on down, it says, um, Most assuredly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of himself but what he sees the Father do. Whatever he does, the Son does in like manner. For as the Father loves the Son and shows him all the things that he himself does, and he will show him greater works than these that you may marvel. For as the Father raises the dead and gives life to them, even so the Son gives life to whom He will. For the Father judges no one, but has committed all judgment to the Son, that all should honor the Son just as they honor the Father. That's talking about worship. He does, he who does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent Him. Most assuredly I say unto you, he who hears my word, this is what we're gonna focus on this right here. He who hears my word, Believes in him who has sent me has everlasting life and shall not come into judgment. Your Bible might say condemnation. But has passed from death unto life. Most assuredly I say unto you the hour is coming and now is when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. And so basically you got three topics of discussion that Jesus is talking about here. One is everlasting life. Second is judgment or condemnation, what that entails. And then Christ's authority uh, to deliver, to grant life to those whom he will for those who come to him. So I want to look at everlasting life for just a second because he said, he who hears my word, believes in him who sent me, has present tense, everlasting life. <clears throat> a lot of people look at eternal life or everlasting life. We want to directly relate that to heaven. And when you say, man, aren't you excited to have everlasting life? In our mind, we think about heaven, what heaven's going to be like. And we also think about heaven as a geographical location. It is a geographical location. It is a place, but that's not what makes heaven heaven. That's not actually what makes heaven so good. 
when the Bible talks about life, it's not simply, you know, your heartbeat, you have a breath, okay, that's your physical life, but when the Bible, Jesus is talking about life, he's talking about a vibrant spiritual life, the person who you are, your eternal spirit with inside of you is alive and vibrant and continues to grow and continues to prosper and continues to build day after day. You know, the Bible says that our outward man is is perishing every day. You know, my body's falling apart. I'm going to one day get sick, disease, die, car wreck, whatever it's going to be. But anyhow, this ain't going to last forever, obviously. But it says, but my inward man, my Christ man, my spirit man, who he has made alive, is renewed day by day. Okay, And so inside of you, if you know Christ is your Savior, you have life. But if you think about heaven and the things that makes it so good, okay, think, I want you to think about this. A place where there is no depression. There is no fight with depression. There's nothing to be depressed about. A place where there is no hopelessness. Okay, and again, I'm referring to a place, but I want to bring it out to you in just a second. Okay, or maybe we won't refer to it as a place. Maybe we'll call it a state. Okay, or maybe it's where you are. Once, once that you are free from that, you have ever everlasting life is no depression, no hopelessness, no suffering, whether it's physical, whether it's mental. Okay, place where no rang, anger or rage. And, I, and I'm talking about some of the things that's inside of me. You understand what I'm saying? Uh, no sorrow, no fear, no guilt or shame. There's a lot of believers who deal with guilt and shame. Keeps you, keeps you feel like you're divided from Christ. Everlasting life means there's no guilt or shame, no frustration, no disappointment, no death, no doubt, no confusion, no hindrance whatsoever. You, it's a place where you have full access into the presence of Jesus. Okay, but when you look at this. It's a place also, when you think about the positive aspect of everlasting life, you go, everlasting life is a life of peace. It's a life of joy. It's a life full. It's a fullness of joy, fullness of peace, gladness, full of love, full of confidence in the Lord, confidence in who you are in Christ, confidence, think about this, with one another. This is not just how it affects you. It affects your relation to God. It affects your, uh, uh, affects your relationship to one another. You know, the Bible talks about we have full access into the presence of the Lord. It's a place where we have full contentment. You know, how many of us at this point in time are you look and go, man, I'm fully content. I'm just I'm overwhelmed with joy and gladness in my heart. I've got I'm full of peace. I'm full of confidence in who I am in Christ and what He what He thinks of me. Uh, fulfillment, full of kindness. And we could go on and on and, and here's the thing that should overflow and, and you think about what heaven's gonna be like, you think, man, what's it gonna be like to have no doubt? What's it going to be like to have no confusion? What's it going to be like to to get along perfectly? We are a church. We're identified by our love for Jesus. Jesus said, and I said last week, John chapter 13, by this, all men will know that you're my disciples, that you have love one for another. We should have so much love for one another. And still, even as God's people, we still have some division and all. Every church does. Let's be real. Let's not be stupid this morning and try to hide that. We all have times where we, where we disagree or we have conflict, but, 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 but when, when, when you, when you look at everlasting life, everlasting life does away with that. It's perfect peace with one another. Most of us don't even have perfect peace in our homes, but you should have. You can have. 
And, and so when you look at this, it, it, it is talking about a, a place of perfection. Now, I want you to understand what it says in John 5.24. Now, if you think about everlasting life in that sense, not the fact of, okay, one day when I die, I'm going to have everlasting life. This says, most assuredly, I want you to be assured. I want you to be confident. I say to you, he who hears my word, the words of Christ, the gospel of Jesus, and believes in him, who sent me, has, not will have, one day will have, it says has, at this point, everlasting life. So all of those things that I just spoke of, if you're a born again believer, that life is in you. If you do not have that life, you do not have Christ. Okay, understand this. It says you have everlasting life. Life is the very person of the Holy Spirit who comes inside of you at the moment that you do what? I heard God's word. I believe God's word. I trust in Jesus. Boom. You are made alive. And we'll talk about that in just a second. But I want you to realize that, realize that and let that truth come into being because it talks about that. You can study for yourself in Ephesians chapter 1. It talks about all of the things. Every The Bible says that you have been given every spiritual blessing in Christ. You're in Christ, Christ in you. That means there's nothing withheld. And the life that Jesus promised you is in all the thing that goes along with that. You have in Christ. You have full access into the prayer. There's nothing. Okay. Now listen to me. Now you cannot believe this or you can be ignorant of it. Okay, or you can choose to go. I just don't feel that. You can be led by your feelings, emotions, which are going to lie to you left and right because that works off of a sinful nature. Understand your emotions still attached to your sinful nature. Your feelings. That's why people can go. I feel like I'm saved, and they ain't because you can you're, you can deceive your own self. Your heart's deceitfully wicked. But your truth, the spirit man inside of you. I'm talking about the the, the person that God created you to be. You know when when uh, Adam and Eve. Uh, before they fell into sin, before that, God warned them. He said, all of the fruit of the trees of the garden you can freely eat. But of the fruit, true to, uh, for the truth of the free, the fruit of the tree of knowledge of good and evil, do not eat of that for the day, the moment that you eat of that tree, you will die. We know that Adam lived to be over 900 years old physically. But the moment that he partook of that tree, he sinned against God, he died spiritually. The person, the breath of God, God breathed life into a pile of dirt, and he became a living being, a living soul. That part of him died at the moment that he sinned against God. Now, this is fixing to get good. I'm going to give you a little bit heavy stuff this morning, so stay with me and write it down. Um, I want you to look real quick at Galatians chapter 5. Most of you have... Have read this, you can quote it, but I want for those who, who can't and who haven't, I want you to see this, okay? What takes place at the moment that you are what we use the term saved? We want to, we want to look at, we want to use the term saved as if, as if it is something that I do simply, you know, because I prayed, I'm saved. That would be like going, well, because I said the right words, I'm, I'm a this or I'm that, you know, I, I'm married. Well, there's a whole lot more to it than just that, okay? And when you think about what Christ has done for you, at the moment that you humble yourself, you believe God's word all the way through the scripture, same path you're saved by one way, by one person. Salvation is not a method, it's not a program, it's not a process, it is a person. Okay, if you're saved, it's because you have a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. I, I, it scares me when I ask people, "Are you a born again believer? Are you saved?" And they go, "Oh yeah, I did that." I'm like, "What?" I'd be like, "Say, hey man, are you married?" "Oh yeah, I did that." 
What do you mean you did that? If you did it, you're doing it. You know what I'm saying? You're still with it. You have a relationship with a person. It's not just a ceremony or a process you go through. You go, oh, yeah, I wanted to try the whole marriage thing, so I got married. And there's a lot of people who try to relate their salvation. Oh, yeah, yeah, I remember one time I felt, felt bad about something, and I prayed this prayer, and so obviously that makes me good. I want to go, do you know Jesus? Are you alive? Do you possess everlasting life? Do you have these things that the Bible says you will have? Notice what what is the things you have, because at the moment that you trust Christ, the Holy Spirit of God enters inside of you, performs a spiritual resurrection, and that man that, uh, that was crucified or that man that died as Adam is now raised to life in Christ Jesus. And when you have that, then you're going to have the evidence of that. And it says in chapter um, 5 of, well, i got to get to Galatians, I'm in Ephesians. <clears throat> Galatians chapter 5 and verse 22. So what they call the fruits of the Spirit. And it says, oh man, I'm having a hard time this morning. Let me slow down. I'm trying to bust y'all out here. We'll eat here, so that saves you 15 minutes and gives me extra. In verse 19, now the works of the flesh are evident which are adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, self-ambitions, dissensions, heresies, envies, murders, wow, a long list, drunkenness, revelries, and the like, of which I tell you before, just as I told you in the time past, that those who practice means a continual, habitual pattern in your life of these things. Now, I'm not saying this, you know, Jesus is... Such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Well, what if that person said the prayer? All it says is if your life continues to practice these things, if your life is a pattern of this sinfulness and this habitual love for sin, then your heart was never changed. You're still dead in your trespasses and sin, according to God's word. <clears throat> you can, I guess you can feel what you want to. Um, and then you go on down and notice what it says, verse 22, but the fruit of the Spirit... This means this should be evident. Just as the works of the flesh are evident, the works of the Spirit are evident because God's way more powerful than the flesh. Would you agree? So what's what should be evident in my life? Love. Not Well, well I do love my kids. Well, who doesn't? Well, nowadays there's some people who kill them. But, but the point is, you know, we're talking about a supernatural love. I love people. I love people I don't know. I, I have a love for the lost. I have a love for my enemies even. I don't want bad for them. I want to see them... Come to a place of forgiveness, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. There is no law, and those who are Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live in the Spirit, let us walk in the Spirit, let us not become conceited, provoking one another, anyone. What he's, man, this is a crazy thing. What's going, what he's saying here and what's taking place is he's saying that, that this is not something you work up. It's not something that we produce. You don't just go, oh man, he said if I'm saved I'm supposed to have love and kindness so I better start trying to be kind. That's like saying, you know what, a sinner just has to think about sinning before he can sin. You don't, you don't think about sinning, you just sin. Cause it's natural to you. It's just like, you know, Kids, we don't. Can we do something about that? We have another battery, maybe. It's like little kids when, when, when they're little. You don't got to go. All right, mom and dad's gonna sit you down. We're gonna teach you how to lie. That way, one day, you know, if you just get in trouble, you can lie your way out. Man, they just come so natural. Them, they'll lie to you before you even teach them how to lie. Amen. 
Sorry, suckers. <laughs> and, uh, and so, and so the same thing, I would have to look and go, okay, so that means it, my flesh is, that's evident in my life. Amen. So, so is it just as evident? Cause listen to me, it doesn't say that you're not going to sin anymore. We're all going to sin. But the problem is, here's, the, here's the good thing. Once you're saved, you have a life in you, which is Christ in you, that strives to go, we don't want to sin. I'm not going to enjoy and practice. You can obviously do the same sins that you were prior to your relationship with Jesus, but you can't do them the same way. You can't enjoy them. You can't continue in them because now you've got the Spirit of God going. Those things are killing you, and and they're bringing death, and they're bringing destruction in your life, and I I don't want that for you. God wants good for you. Thank you, Bubba. Yeah, do all that. And so anyhow, you look at that, and what God's saying here is, if you have the Spirit of And you gotta look, and my heart's desire more than anything this morning, rather than keeping you a really long time, is that, that you look at your life and go, I do have everlasting life. Even though I, I, I do struggle with sin, okay? But I, but I have something inside of me that's struggling for me. I have someone, not something, but there is a person inside of me. Jesus loves me so much that he's willing to dwell in a sinful body for my purpose to give me this everlasting life that's going to continue to grow and I'm going to continue to build on that. And I have all of the things that that Christ has given me. I don't have to wait to get to heaven. I can live in peace now. I can live in joy now. I can have peace with my family. I can have joy in my life no matter my circumstances because the Bible says in Romans chapter 8 to be carnally minded. That means if I'm focused on my flesh and focused on the world and focused on the physical, to be carnally minded is death. But to be spiritually minded, that means that I am minded of Christ in me. I'm minded of who he is and who I am in Christ Jesus. Quit listening to the devil. Listen to God's word and what he has bought for you, what he has spoken into your life, what he has caused and produced through who he is and what he's done through his death, burial, and resurrection, okay? And then through that, to be spiritually minded is life and peace. So you have to look at yourself and go, is, is how I'm living, is it producing life in me? Is it producing peace, not only in me, but through me? Is it producing peace in my relationship? Do I have the peace with God, the peace of God, and I have that life in me? That's because Christ lives in me, okay? Now, um, looking at the condemnation, stay with me, I'll be done in just a minute. Looking at the condemnation, the word condemnation means judgment, Okay? And there is always a judgment. God does one thing with sin. He judges it. Okay? He's already judged it, actually. And sin, when Adam sinned, this is a good teaching I want to give you. When Adam sinned, just as the Holy Spirit, the Bible teaches the Holy Spirit was, was deposited in me. The wording there uses, the Holy Spirit was given you as a deposit so that you can be assured that you have everlasting life, that you have a home in heaven, that you belong to Jesus. That's why we, we, you can't lose your salvation. I can prove that all day long because here's the thing. Salvation is a person. It's the person of Christ lives inside of me. He said, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. And I gave you the Holy Spirit. I deposited my life in you so that you can be assured that you are alive spiritually. You have everlasting life now. You shall not come into the judgment because you've already passed from death unto life. 
Now think about this. God basically looks at mankind as two people. Not that he doesn't see us as individuals. The Bible said he loves you. He fearfully and wonderfully made you. That his thoughts of you are numbered as the sands of the, of the sea and all that stuff. But I'm saying, when it comes to salvation, God sees two people. Romans chapter 5. Okay, He sees, number one, Adam. He said, all in Adam die. That means when Adam sinned, that the deposit of death was made in him. Just like the deposit of the Holy Spirit is made in a believer. The deposit of death was made in him. And somehow, the Bible talks about in Romans chapter 5, that because of Adam, sin was passed on. You were born with that deposit of a sin nature in you. Because of Adam, God doesn't look at you as an individual. If you'll bear with me, you'll get my illustration in a second. But he looks at you as, this is Adam. Okay, But then he goes, but all in Christ live. The reason God did that, one man represented all of mankind. And all of sin was upon that man, and sin was passed through him to all of mankind, and death because of sin. Yet, now, God can punish all of mankind's sin in one man. That man is the second Adam. The Bible refers to Jesus, who came, and he represented us on the cross. Christ went to the cross for our place. God poured out wrath and judgment upon sin, condemned his son... Because of our sin, Jesus buried our sin in the grave, and when he arose, he demonstrated. The Bible says his resurrection was a demonstration of power and authority given him by the Father to go, I have full authority to grant. Not that you work for, that you get baptized for, that you go to church for. By his authority, he grants you life and raises you to life through his power. He said, I have life in me. Jesus said, no man takes my life. I lay it down and I will raise it up. I'm going to do that so that you understand it's not something you have any part in, that you have to do some kind of religious aspect to cause it to happen. God speaks and he raises you to life through his word. Ain't that good? And so in that, when Christ came and died in our place, okay, that, that God used Christ to redeem us and what he did on the cross for me canceled out all the crimes that Adam committed, which was my crime, okay? Now, I want you to look real quick. Man, this thing's crazy today. I want you to look in John chapter 3. I'm almost done. There is a judgment now. A lot of people want to look at God. They have a great misunderstanding of the Lord. And they're like, well, why was, why does God judge people, send people to hell, and blah, 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 and all of that, okay? Notice what it says in John chapter 3 and verse 16. We all know that verse. I mean, I'm in Luke. Good Lord, help us. Sitting there thinking, that's not that verse. John chapter 3 verse 16 says, For God so loved the world, that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. Notice what it says, For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through Him might be saved. He who believes in Him is not condemned. But he who does not believe is condemned already. You're not, people are not awaiting the day to where God judges and condemns them. It's like, we're condemned already. All God's doing is declaring what we've chosen. And then he says, he who believes, oh, let me skip that, verse 19. And this is the judgment, or this is the condemnation, that light is coming to the world, 
And men loved darkness rather than the light because their deeds were evil. So what is the judgment? The judgment is not God going, you know what, I'm so mad at you, I'm going to send you to hell. The judgment is, God, I loved my filthiness, I loved sin, I loved darkness, I loved evil, I loved wickedness, I hated you. And, and a person like that wouldn't fit into heaven. A person like that wouldn't want to be in heaven. You understand, a person with an unregenerated heart, a lost person who loves sin, would never want to be standing there worshiping Jesus. They'd be like, this is miserable. And the Lord, basically on the day of judgment, grants to you, if you choose today to go, I love darkness. I don't want Jesus. I don't want righteousness. I don't want all this Bible stuff. I don't want that. You're the one who condemns you. You're condemned already. All you will do is stand before the Lord and Him say, I offered you a free gift of salvation. I came and I suffered in your place that you wouldn't have to face what you chose. But you chose the way of unrighteousness. You chose the way of the world. And according to what you have chosen, I rightly judge. Depart from me, you worker of iniquity. I never knew you. And you'll die and go to hell because you chose to. Because you loved darkness. Okay? But the good thing is, the Bible says that Jesus also has the power to give life. Now, finishing this up, because I'm, I'm going to cut this off a little short. <clears throat> Notice what it says in uh, back in John chapter 5, in verse 22. In verse 22, Jesus says... Um, in verse 21, for, for as the Father raises the dead to give them life, even so the Son gives life to whom he will. For the Father judges no one, but has committed judgment to the Son. You're not going to stand before God the Father as your judge. Every person will stand before Jesus Christ. It says in, in Philippians that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Who is sitting on the throne in Revelation chapter 20 and verse 11 through 16 on the great white throne of judgment? It is the Lord Jesus Christ. Why? Because he has performed everything. He is a righteous judge. He has done everything necessary to free us from our guilt. And it is by his word. When you say, Lord, I hope none of y'all have to say this. God forbid. But when a lost person stands before him and go, Lord, I didn't know. He's like, oh yeah, you knew. You remember. There was a church right down the road. I sent people to you. You had my word laying on your coffee table. You knew. Well, God, you know, you know, I tried really hard. Wait, wait just a second. I said, whosoever believes, not who tries, who works, who goes to church. And, 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 and the judgment's going to be according to the scripture. I tell you, don't go by your feeling. There's a lot of people going, yeah, I remember one time I got really emotional and got scared. So I went down front and the preacher prayed for me. That was me. Didn't change anything. I didn't have everlasting life. Had everlasting misery of religion. Okay, but I came to the place where the Lord saved my soul, and I'm so thankful that he did. But Christ has the authority, and I want you to understand this. It's an exclusive authority. In our culture, people don't want to say you're wrong. I don't agree with everything he says, but I'm watching some videos on YouTube called Wretched. It's an open-air preacher, and, and I just watch it to, to listen to the people's comments, and it amazes me. The younger generation will not say there's a right and wrong. And if you say you're wrong, they get all wound up and mad about it because you say they're wrong. Then they'll say, well, you're wrong for saying we're wrong. But anyhow, understand this. Jesus clearly points out that there is a right and there is a wrong. Some people are right. Some people are wrong. He is right. We are wrong. You understand that? Okay. If you don't agree with the word of God, you are wrong. Period. And so am I. 
and he will judge according to his word. And there is a truth. There is an absolute truth. There is an exclusive truth. And Jesus is that exclusive truth. He didn't say, well, people who believe Hindu and they was raised that way and people who believe Buddha and they was raised that way and people who believe Catholicism and they was raised that way, they, they have a good purpose and have a good point. And so, you know, they're right in their own eyes and so they'll go to heaven because they meant really good. He said, this is what he said, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. No man will come to the Father but through me. God spoke it in the book of Isaiah. He said, I am God. There is none other. There is no other Savior but me. That's why Jesus said, I'm the Savior. He's saying, I'm God. I made you. And I came to save you. There's not another route. There's not another Savior. There's not another way. There's not another Messiah. There never will be. Any person breathe the breath of life if they do not come to a place of repentance and faith towards Jesus Christ, believe in the gospel of Christ. When they die, they face the judgment. They'll end up in hell forever and ever. That's a hard truth, but it's the truth. You go, wait a second. What about all these people? That's what I'm saying. What are we doing about all these people? If we'll get fighting mad over saying they're going to hell, why don't we get loving mad and, and, and try to keep them from it? You know what I'm saying? And so in that, he declares he is the way. He is the truth. He is the life. But he also declares that he has authority. Say, so why do we have to come to Jesus? Because no other, no other person has the power to give life. If you're here this morning, you don't need religion. You don't need to try to do gooder. You don't need to be better. You're dead. The Bible says that we're dead. What you need is life. I can't give you life. No pastor can give you life. No church service can give you life. Listen to me. Not even the Bible can give you life. It can point you to the one who can give you life. But you can know the Bible left and right. You can be in church every service. You can listen to any kind of and every kind of great pastor you want to go. You can sing, jump, praise, all that stuff. But listen to me. You're still dead. You're still dead, and you still face judgment. Jesus loves you. It's the best message. I tell you that, I hope it makes you sick one day that I've told you so much. Do you realize how much Jesus loves you? Right where you sit this morning, you can agree with me and go, man, he's right. I'm, I'm so lost. I'm so sinful. I've never turned my heart to Jesus. I don't have the everlasting life. I don't have the love of Christ in me. Guess what? Jesus, that's why he came for you. He came, the only thing that separates you and me is, I realized that one day, and he raised me to life. It's all about him, not about us. And if you're here this morning, you don't know Christ is your Savior. Why not come to Jesus? Not come down the front, not go through a process. You don't have to get up in front of nobody to be saved. You get up in front of the Lord, humble yourself. God save me, I believe. Your word said, if I hear your word, you've heard it. What you going to do with it? Are you going to believe it this morning? Are you going to turn your heart and surrender to Jesus? Not about, I want to do that. It's about, I want to know Him. I want Him to give me, I'm asking Him to give me life by His grace. He will grant you freely everlasting life. And I, I know that a majority of people here would say, I've done that. You know, I've heard this message and I've done that. But are you living that? Is everlasting life pouring out of you? Do you not quit listening to the devil with guilt and shame? Quit listening to him with fear and doubt and confusion. And look at the Bible and go, man, God loves me crazy. It's crazy. I can tell you, instead of having this week, I told my wife, I called my wife yesterday and said, I'm going to tell you something. God is crazy. He's crazy what he does. Man, he's crazy what he's willing to do in your life. When you just simply take the word and go, all right, Lord, it's crazy, but I'm going to try it. And next thing you know, God's crazy and he shows up in your life. This is insane. 
His love for us is insane. His faithfulness to his word and to us is insane. He loves you so much. He's like, I want to give you life. And anything else other than Jesus is nothing comparable. There's no life in it. And every one of us will stand before the Lord one day. And if you're a child of God, this to me, it's already been declared. Well done, good and faithful servant. I haven't served. You believed. God's talking to his son. Well done, my good and faithful servant. Because he saved you. Why not start living that out? God, what kind of change? What kind of impact? You know why the first church made, and I'm done after this. Listen to this. You know why the first church turned the world upside down? Because when Jesus spoke to him, it went here and they went, we're free. We're alive. We see God in the flesh. He loves us. He's not just. He went to the cross for us. He arose for us. He's speaking truth to us. He's with us. He's eating fish with us. He cooked for us. He waits upon us. He's put up with us. He's restored us. Everything about Jesus, is just, he was just so much about his children. And you're one of those children. He's all about you. What if you start living like that? And quit listening to the lies. And quit listening to your flesh. And you start walking in the spirit. And every time the devil says something to you, you speak the word of God back to him. Just like Jesus did. Sooner or later, he's like, man, I can't stay in this. And I've got to go. And you're one of those people. Everybody looks at him and goes, what is wrong with that religious freak? I'm alive. That's what's wrong with me. If you don't know Christ this morning, I beg you. I would beg you. Why not? Right there where you are. Humble yourself. Believe the gospel that Jesus died for you, was buried and rose again. Go to him and go, so what I need to pray? Pray from your heart. God, I'm a sinner. I need life. You said you have life. You said you give life. Will you give me life? He'll give it to you. How am I going to? He promised. Not because you're going to get a feeling. I have a vision of light. I believe the truth. And I want you, Jesus. And as God's people, man, let's leave here today encouraged to go, I am who he says I am. And I have what he says I have. And I want to start living that life so that the world can see there ought to be something very different inside of me that spills over in me that causes something radical change in my family and in our church and everything else. Because Why? Because Jesus is good. Will you stand with your head bowed and your eyes closed? Let's have a word of prayer. Lord, I love you and thank you so much.